we know that 50% of, of patients and customers leave an aesthetic practice or any business if there was poor customer service. So if you're not communicating well to your patients, you are at risk of losing half of your patients. listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital, as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Most clinics claim to be at the cutting edge. Very few genuinely are. My guest today is one of the exceptions. His list of firsts is extremely long. He's the pioneer of the invisible aesthetic approach. Profilo has taken the UK by storm, but this doctor has literally brought it to the UK and has more experience with Profilo than anyone else locally. He's the former president of the Society of Cosmetic Physicians and Surgeons and is known internationally for his very own trademark non-surgical facelift, the R-lift procedure. He is also the first doctor in the UK to be trained in the 4D lipo technique and has been a pioneer in lipo since 2008. And last but not least, he pioneered the acclaimed Harmony Consultation, the benchmark system to enhance and regulate patient satisfaction for Galderma. Now, if all this is beginning to ring bells, that might be because you use the Harmony Consultation yourself, or perhaps you've heard him lecturing in Europe or in Australia where he's a regular teacher and speaker. Today's guest is Dr. Ravi Jain, founder of the beautiful Riverbanks Wellness Clinic on the outskirts of London. Ravi, welcome to the How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic podcast. Hello. Ravi, being at the forefront of medical innovation is clearly really important to you. So I thought, why is that? Is it something that you just really enjoy? Is it something about offering the best treatments? Why is this so important to you? Look, I'm, 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 I've always been an early adopter of tech, okay? Um, as I got older, I would say, I've started to realize that certainly that the, maybe the first version of any new device or procedure or treatment isn't necessarily the best, it, you know, and versions two, three, and four are probably the better um, models, as it were. And um, so, and I think that's now lending itself to my practice and how I introduce treatments and new treatments to the practice at Riverbanks. You know, science and uh, medicine is advancing at rapid rates and, uh, and what I want to do is always make sure we offer our patients the, the latest but most effective treatments. They, they, the, the bottom line is they have to be effective. And sometimes the latest doesn't mean effective. So at Riverbanks, oh. we always offer the latest and yet effective treatments. So what you're actually saying is a little bit of a redefinition of cutting edge, because what you're really saying is that everyone thinks cutting edge is the latest, but you're actually saying that sometimes it's not 
the very latest, but something that's already been, that's relatively new, but has been proven over, this is not necessarily the first iteration. So that's essentially a new way to think about being at the cutting edge. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm not prepared to um, do the, I'm not prepared for my patients to be guinea pigs. Let's put it this way. Okay. What I want to offer them, they want it, I want them to know that and they come to us, we've, this, the technology has been, tried and tested and proven, it may be relatively new, okay? Um, it may be new to the UK. It may be new to riverbanks. Um, or it may be, occasionally, literally brand new, but the science behind it has been sound. So do you think that some clinics, um, by trying to constantly bring out um, and offer the newest thing, um, in some ways that's a mistaken approach? Um, it, look, every single practice has a different uh, way of operating. They're different priorities, okay? Their patients may be the patients that only want the latest thing and they don't mind if it doesn't work or not. You know, they, it's not so much of an issue. They want to say they've tried the latest, ish, the latest treatment, okay? My gut feeling is that most people don't want to throw their money away. Most people don't want to have beginning pigs. Um, and that they do want to have the latest treatment, of course, but they also want to know it works. And so, uh, and for me, when you work in a local area like we do in Hampton and St. Albans, um, you know, I'm likely to bump into my patients in the high street and the restaurants and the schools, you know, and I, I don't want, I want to walk around and, with, you know, knowing that, um, that my patients would like to be happy. Okay. Uh, whereas if you work in a metropolis like, like London, for example, you're less likely to bump into people who are unhappy with your treatments. So Ravi, you've brought over so many new treatments to the UK and you've pioneered so many treatments. Um, we mentioned Profilo, there's also Bionic and several others. Um, how do you, do you have a process for deciding what the up and coming thing is and what's really worth investing in? Or is it more organic than that? How, how do you actually decide? What's the best way, how, what's the best form of marketing, okay? I'm going to ask you, what's the best one? Word of mouth, okay? Word of mouth is key, all right? I'm really fortunate that I get to travel all around the world, and as a result, I've made friends with expert colleagues from all over the world, all right? And when we find something new and exciting, we tell each other, all right? And, and sometimes there'll be new treatments that I introduce to them that they've not heard of, and, and often the other way around as well. So, for example, for Philo, I've got a very good colleague in, uh, in Italy, in Florence, and he mentioned it to me because it was, it was a, it's an Italian product. And before it came to the UK, he said to me, have a look at this. This is very interesting, very exciting. And the results he's getting are excellent. So, and so that's how that happened, right? So we looked at Profilo and we launched it. We look at Bionic, same thing. I was in Australia. And I heard, and I was shown this by a colleague who I respect a lot, and and uh, we saw what an impact it had on on rosacea, what an impact it had on on reducing uh, um, inflammation and swelling, and also what an impact it has on skin rejuvenation um, without any downtime. And that was something which I'd not seen of in the UK at all, and certainly wasn't there. So it's 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 constant communication with colleagues. Constant. Keeping, keeping your ear to the ground, essentially. Yes, constant updating myself. I read the latest science, the latest papers, 
all the time. Okay, uh, uh, evidence evidence is very key for us at the Riverbanks. You know, we uh, we have a library at the clinic where all the clinicians and practitioners are, are you know, in, they have a whole host of resource for them to uh, tap into and learn and update their learnings. Um, so we're constantly doing that. Um, and likewise, if I see anything on, say, that's going through the rounds on social media, for example, um, often you'll find that that may not be the most effective treatment out there, but it's just very popular because they've done very good marketing. Right? Uh, but nevertheless, if something is very popular on social media or, or in the media or in the consumer press, we'll certainly look at it so that we can evaluate it just in case there's something I've missed, you know? Um, or to evaluate it so that we can educate our patients about our opinion on that. So talking about the patients, um, how, do you let the, how do you let the patients know that you're at the forefront? I guess nowadays people, some people are very educated. They really understand what's cutting edge and what isn't. But in order for it to have an impact on the clinic, I mean, is it, impo is it important for, the, for your patients to understand that the treatments you're offering are cutting edge? And if it is, then... How do, you, how do you let them know? Okay. So all of our patients always ask when they come in, what's new? What's the latest thing? Because they know I travel a lot. They, they appreciate that. So they always ask me, what's new? What's new? What's new? Okay. But on a wider scale, for, you know, for the patients that are on our um, newsletter list, you know, we've got several thousand on the newsletter list. So we communicate to them any new findings, any new treatments we may have, um, and how we found them and how we got you know why they why they excite us and why we think you they'll be excited by these treatments so we communicate via our newsletter our, e our email newsletter so you simply tell them directly and has that had has being on the cutting edge um, had an impact you think on the success of your clinic how important has that actually been to your success oh yeah I, I think it's one of the many ingredients okay that contribute to success you know you don't want to be seen to be standing still if we look at uh, when i first started you know over what 12 or 13 years ago that back then you literally did some botulinum toxin treatments to the to the frown lines up here and then maybe you did some fillers to the lips and nasolabial lines um that's it now we're talking about full facial correction with thermal fillers and toxins and even some skin boosters. So it's very different. Whereas you can see the guys that are a bit longer in the tooth and they haven't moved on from that. And you can, those patients just don't look right anymore. They just don't look natural anymore. They look like they've been having the same treatment for 20 years, you know? And, and so you have to move forward. You have to move forward. So being at the cutting edge is, Yes, it's one of the secrets for success, but it's 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 how you uh, um, how you um, control that. You have to make sure that you're bringing in treatments that are effective. And um, you know, and the thing for me is that sometimes the newest technology doesn't mean it works. Just because a manufacturer can do something, it doesn't mean it's what people want. Yeah. Ravi, if somebody is just starting out um, or has a smaller clinic and they want to do more, um, to because as you say, the market is changing. And it, what, what you're essentially saying is that it takes more to be at the cutting edge now than it did maybe 10 or 15 years ago. What do you advise them to do um, 
in, in order to in order to be to be able to offer more cutting edge treatments? What's the most important thing they need to do for that? Well, the first thing is um, well, not the first thing. One of the first things they have to do is they have to find out what is going to be their unique selling point, their USP. Because unfortunately, to open up as a I don't know, Botox and filler clinic now is you're going to have a whole host of competition, whether it's from um, beauty therapists to doctors to dentists to dermatologists to plastic surgeons, whoever, right? So it's now going to be much harder to distinguish yourself from other clinics. The competition is much higher now than it used to be. So I think what if I was to start again, I'd be trying to find a treatment that is effective, um, that maybe has a low investment to startup costs, um, has a good margin, and there's a good demand for, right? So, there, and, and not many people locally to you offer it. Preferably none. Nobody locally to you offers it. So that's, if I was to start up, that's what I would do. And in all fairness, when I'm looking for a new treatment, I'm looking, those principles are still applied to every new treatment I try to bring into the practice. Uh, I try not to follow the crowd, I try to lead. And I have to keep reminding myself that when others follow you, take it as a compliment. So Ravi, let's take a step back. Let's go back to when you started off the clinic. Um, now over a decade ago, maybe, te- maybe 11, 12 years ago, um, what was your vision then? You talked about USPs. How did you vis- what was your vision for Riverbanks? How did you think, what were you trying to create? So when I started, um, I was a GP um, and I, um, I, I learned how to apply Botox and fillers and, I, and the aim was to run that alongside my general practice um, and then um, and, and, and I thought I'd try to learn from the best so I, I, I sat in and observed uh, one of the, the pioneers of Botox in this country for um, and I sat in with him for about six 12 months and then I got to work alongside another pioneer in this country uh, for about two years during that time, I realized that, particularly in Harley Street, it's very unusual for patients to be seen in a nice, friendly, clinical environment that, that gave them confidence, and it was almost like a one-stop shop. Often, uh, the places down in Harley Street would be basement offices, um, um, it's ironic because everyone associates Harley Street with serious yeah. quality. As, as did I at the time as well, as did I. And so I was very disappointed by the um, level of, of uh, hospitality maybe a patient would be offered. Uh, and also generally the, um, uh, I felt the whole customer experience could be drastically improved. Right? Many of them were just were part-time, so they were just... Um, They'd walk in with their bag of medicines and then go home with their bag of medicines. So there was no real sense of established practice. Um, when I worked with the practice in, for two years, that, that was a bit different. And again, that's what's more I'd, I'd expect, and that was in London. And so that gave me a lot of inspiration. 
So what I wanted to do though was to bring to the uh, bring um, to sort of like my locality a top class service that gave them confidence, was comfortable, excellent hospitality, that gave them excellent medical care and attention, excellent um, uh, skills, and also discretion. We did not want to be on a high street. One of the advantages of London is that you're anonymous, okay? One of the advantages of Harley Street is that no one knows what building you're walking into, okay? Whereas when you want to do that in the suburbs as well. Yeah, when you go to the suburbs and the regions, everyone's on a high street, okay? And, um, and I truly believe people in our, in our, in our, our patients in our, in, 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 who seek aesthetic dreams don't want to shout to the world that they're having aesthetics. Okay? It's very different in the US and some other countries, but in leafy green Hertfordshire, they don't, okay? So Ravi, what were the steps, um, looking back on your journey of the last decade plus, um, what you essentially you went and created that clinic, and I know because I've been in that clinic many times. Um, what were the steps that you took that really allowed you, first of all, to establish that level of customer service that you're talking about? I would. So first of all, I wanted to, to deliver something that I would appreciate as a customer. So I've been fortunate enough to stay in nice hotels around the world with family and during work. And I always take, take particular attention to um, uh, levels of customer service that I really enjoyed, that stood out for me. Right. Uh, so for example, um, we once went on holiday to, uh, when we could back in those days, to Sharm El Sheikh, stayed at a lovely hotel, and then went back, um, I think three years later, three years later, and at reception, they says, welcome back, Dr. Jane. Would you like the same room? And wow, haven't your children grown? Okay. And it was the same staff. It was the same pool attendant. It was the same person at the gym, the fitness guy. It was the same restaurant uh, waiters. And for me, that was like, wow. That, and everywhere, time I walk, everywhere we walked around, all the staff knew, well, hello, Dr. Jane. Now, don't get me wrong. I did not buy the rent, the, the penthouse villa or anything like that. I was a regular guest, okay? And um, it, was, it was just uh, astounding at how well they, the customer service was there. And so I wanted that to come to my clinic. I wanted patients to have that experience of a, a you know, five, six, seven-star VIP attendance every time they attend. So what did you implement to, to, to achieve that? The things we do, so for the staff to preempt who's coming into the clinic, so and and welcome Mrs. So and So, you know, rather than sorry, what's your what's not what's you know, even what it, when I hear people say what's the name, that winds me up. Okay, it's not the name, it's their name. So excuse me, may I take your name, please? Not what's the name. Okay, and unfortunately, colloquial speak is quite common in. Uh, at front of house and the front of house is your it's your window is your absolute most important point of contact most important point of contact for customers because they that's who the relationship develops with if you've got a bad point of contact with front of house with a customer service team uh, what that can undermine how what good work a clinician may do when they're with the patient all right particularly when you're maybe looking at premium clinics 
So have you implemented, there, do you have specific processes to govern the way that the front of house um, interacts with patients? There's training, when, there's induction training and we are always, we, whenever something is picked up upon, we always re-educate and ask people to, you know, this is how we'd like to explain, uh, greet patients and etc. We do patient feedback forms, we have that on a regular basis, we have suggestion boxes for new ideas. Uh, you know, for example, when we, um, when we were building the clinic, we used a newsletter to ask patients how, what colours would they like the clinic to be, what floors. We included them so they felt a sense of ownership at the practice. Wow. Um, so, uh, and in terms of customer service, what do you think are the key things that really differentiate you in customer service? Because I'm very aware that you said that 10 or 11 years ago, it was really rare to get that level of customer service. But I'm wondering, first of all, whether you think that lots of clinics have basically caught on to that and are trying to offer good customer service. I say since, I mean, look, when we started, we were the, we won best new clinic in the country. We then, the, the next year, we won best clinic. The year after that, we won best clinic. So, and then now... I can absolutely say the new clinics coming up, they are absolutely raising their game to come up to our standards, to meet our standards. So we definitely set a trend which we're very proud of. Beforehand, people were just uh, being lazy, being lazy and greedy, in my opinion. And now we've invested it and created an experience. We'd always call it the Riverbanks experience. And the Riverbanks experience is, is something very simple. It's just treating people how you would like to be treated. Um, and it's, it's literally as simple as that. You know, uh, and and and, if the, and, um, and and it doesn't cost that much. It usually just costs a few brain cells to work together and think before you speak, before you act. It doesn't usually cost money. So now that um, that customer experience is a focus for so many other clinics, um, do you feel the need to find to look around to find another USP, or how has that affected the way that you? It wasn't as we didn't have one USP. You see, we had several at the time. We were the only, you know, one-stop shop in the area. We were the only one which was doctor-led. We were the only one which focused on customer care. We were the only one which had particular treatments, you know, and not just one, maybe several treatments, you know, we, you know, and so we had multiple USPs at the time. We had, we're the only one to win so many awards. Um, you know, it, it, we had so many USPs um, and, um, and, and to this date, if we, if, if you look at it all, you know, I think that they're still valid, you know. So the issue is now what we've wanted to do is make sure people understand that there's, there's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they, they need to feel like that there's integrity. Behind all of this is integrity, okay? So behind all of this, it's not about making money. Behind all of this, the priority is making sure our patients are getting the right treatment and they're happy that's the priority we wanted people one of one of the you know we had a branding exercise before we did we as we were set up the clinic what did we want to um be remembered for what do people want to think about what do we want to think about when people think about riverbanks and it's trust integrity expertise you know and ethics and honesty all of those were what people we want and when i hear that people recommend us based on all of those values that's music to my ears you know rather than saying oh yeah they're the cheapest or they're the most expensive. Oh no, you get good lips there. That, those aren't the issues. It's about the integrity. That's the most important part. 
So again, I guess, because the, uh, it is becoming a much more competitive and also in some ways money-driven industry. So the indus- so integrity is one thing that really helps you stand out. And yeah. Integrity in the dealing with patients. Yeah, integ- I mean, listen, I'm, you know, doctors, you know, I can only speak for doctors, really, okay? Uh, uh, doctors are, you know, one of the most respected professions out there. And unfortunately, what happens when they go into aesthetics, they they sometimes, they don't know how to deal with a different type of patient, okay? Um, and, uh, when, and they're not very good, on the whole, doctors are not very good communicators, okay? Um, and they are generally, and those that are skilled communicators succeed in every aspect of their career, okay? Um, doctors are rubbish, usually, at um, charging treatments, Okay, because they're used to when they work on the NHS, they're not used to considering any cost whatsoever. Okay, so there's a whole, and, and what that what what that tends to cause is a uh, it causes um, um, a, a, an obvious glaring area of where they have lack of skill. So they've, they've not been trained in business, they've not been trained in sales, they've not been trained in customer service, but yet they're opening a whole business. With, where these skills are fundamental and almost secondary to their clinical skills, okay? Um, so patients expect all clinicians to have the same set of skills. Generally, they expect, you know, a doctor should be able to do that, a doctor should be able to do that, should be able to do that. But if you get a doctor that can do that and provide excellent customer service and provide excellent aftercare and empathise well and be a great communicator and be good at marketing, you know, all of those things, that's different. Now, if they can't be, they should get trained in communication skills, for sure. They should get trained in consultation skills, for sure. And they should get trained in um, learning how to, uh, uh, you know, talk about financial situations, bills with the patient. But if not, then they should set in systems to do that. And they could do that by having a patient pathway, maybe where they don't talk about prices. They maybe have a salesperson who does. But in our experience, patients don't tend to like that too much. They like to know the costs of treatment from the doctors rather than from a salesperson. So it's interesting they're saying that one of the biggest barriers really to clinics and doctors growing and to doctors growing their own clinics is really communication. Um, That's something that probably doctors never think about. It's a, but as I understand it, that's the basis of the harmony consultation as well, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, this is the issue. You know, uh, you can. Um, we know that fifty um, percent of of patients and customers leave an aesthetic practice or any business if they uh, if there was poor customer service. So, if you're not communicating well to your patients, you are at risk of losing half of your patients. What are the principles of communicating? What What should the doctor be doing to communicate well with with a with a patient? What does that actually involve? It sounds so obvious, but clearly it's an issue. Well, the first thing is just think about what you were like when you met someone who you're really interested in hearing about from. Okay, what do you do? You shut up for a start. Okay, you don't talk through them. You listen to them. You maintain eye contact, and you listen to them with an interest of finding out what they're saying, not with an interest of what can I sell them. Okay, so there's basic. So listening with interest, rather than listening to achieve a sale, they're very different. Okay, um, so that's pretty much the basics of it all. 
talking to a patient like you're talking to your, you know, to someone you care and love about, love, not for someone you don't care about or you don't know. You know, you have to talk to patients as if, you know, you're, as if you're going to see them every day for the rest of your life, you know, not that I'm not going to see them for six months, so it doesn't matter, you know? Ravi, what's, um, what's an indication? You know, I, I'm guessing that many doctors don't actually realize that they're missing this skill. Um, how, what's an indication that they are? How could somebody, you know, what, what would tell a doctor, you know what, actually this is a skill I don't have? What are the indications? So one, one level is um, rebooking rates so, or patient retention. Okay? If their patient retention is not as high as they'd like it. Another one is asking their, maybe if they've got a secretary, whether or not there's much more, whether that person, the patient asks their pay, the reception, the secretary for, to go through basically all the questions that they wish they'd asked but they didn't feel they could ask, you know? And often you get that, patient secretaries are having to fill in the gaps a lot. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, complaints. If there's a lot of complaints about a particular clinician, uh, usually in my experience, what I've learned over the years is that that is nine times out of 10 a communication error rather than a clinical error, all right? So how can, how can doctors, is this a skill that can be learned essentially? Yes, it can be learned. It can be learned. One of the things about our consultation models, which we've created, Harmony being one of them, was that it allows, it, 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 it systemizes uh, a history taking of the patient, examination, and, and, and it, it helps forge a, 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 a more trusting relationship. The patient feels more engaged in their consultation, they feel more empowered, and the, and the clinician is encouraged to ask uh, the right questions um, to help enhance the doctor-patient relationship there. Um, uh, so that, that, that's one thing you can do. And then there, there are further courses you can, and, and readings, you can understand patient psychology better. Um, you know, you can understand, uh, you know, because when patients come to a doctor, often they are flustered. We always encourage them to write down questions, you know, so we can go through them, simple things like that. Um, you know, with the newer, you know, so, and there are certain specialists who have had specific training in this. So for example, uh, general practice training is, is, the core to general practice training is communication skills. Okay, so you can imagine three, four years of training in communication skills sets GPs at a higher level than some of their colleagues in other specialties. Many patients wouldn't believe that that's what their doctors are skilled in, you know? Uh, so maybe some people can't be taught, you know? Um, but on the whole, um, communication skills courses are available. Um, you know, um, whereas the younger doctors coming through, haven't always gone through specialist training, whether it's through, whether it's through uh, general practice training or, or consultant, hospital-based medicine training. Um, so they haven't had the experience of, of, of patient care. And, and that's a real worry in our field at the moment. Yeah. So, um, Ravi, looking back on, um, looking at, the, at all the people that you know worldwide, do you see a real difference amongst the doctors who are successful? Are they generally better communicators? Is that, yeah. Do you actually see that happening? Yes. They can, because when you're a communi good communicator, you can, you, you can deal with all situations and, and, and being honest with your patients as well is key. You know, do not over do, doctors should never try to sell anything okay because they're usually rubbish at it they're not trained salespeople. okay doctors are very good at recommending a course of treatments 
That's what we do. But as soon as money comes into it, they think they have to be a salesperson. And that changed the whole time. They then turn into an unskilled person rather than a skilled person recommending a course of treatments. So they forget, if they have that learning, the, pre the dynamics of the situation where they're suddenly turned into salespeople um, makes them forget their learning, basically. Yeah, they don't realize that they're applying, they need to apply their same principles and just recommend the course treatments. Because what often doctors do is that they assume a patient can't afford a treatment, okay? Which is another huge mistake, okay? It's not for you to decide whether anyone can afford something or not. You can advise them, these are the course of treatments that will help your given complaint. These are the costs. And then the patient will then feed back to you whether or not they can afford them now or later or prioritize them. They might ask you to help them prioritize, but never assume what a patient can and can't afford. So there's, there's some kind of, um, there's some, there's some kind of essential contradiction or irony, I guess, that people start, essentially when you're starting up a clinic, you are starting a business. Um, but actually the pressure of becoming a, of moving from being a, prof, a, a, a doctor, pure doctor, um, to a business person somehow twists that relationship with the patient in some cases in a way which is very harmful to both yeah. parties. Because there's pressure, you know, there's financial pressures, mm. you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and look, at the end of the day, if not everyone can do both, okay, and if that's the case, definitely consider having a business partner. So let's look at the business side for one second. Um, Ravi, you've, you've been running Riverbanks for over a decade, like we said. Um, looking back, is there one single step that you took that really allowed you to grow the clinic? Obviously, you started off without patients or without very many patients. Nowadays, it's a thriving clinic. What is the single most important step that you took that allowed you to, to become that success? Hmm. I invested um, all of my first year's profit into marketing. Marketing my message. Not marketing special offers, marketing my message. Um, what I stood for and what we do. So I would say we marketed and established our brand very early on. And we That's all you had a brand. You, you, yeah. you, you had clearly, as you said earlier, you had put a lot of thought into what your USPs were and what your brand actually is. Yeah. No one else had a brand when we were there as well. So uh, we went for that. Um, and that, that, that um, you know, that at the end of the day, that helped um, get patients through the door. You know, that allowed me to move from, you know, operating on Saturday mornings in my NHS practice to having the full riverbank set up um, almost 18 months later. You know, um, that gave confidence to the bank who helped fund the, the investment for the, the riverbanks without the whole branding exercise and the, without the whole uh, business plan that we created, you know. Oh, so let's go back a step actually. That's just one. 
the fun one thing that made all the difference was my business plan was writing a business plan and how did you how did you develop that? Did you develop it by yourself? Did you? No, I I I I I I um I used the help of, engaged the help of a business consultant, okay, uh, and uh, who I met through networking groups, and um, and we spent I invested a whole day, which I thought cost a fortune at the time, and now. That's probably the That's best paid off many, many times. I'm sure. investment I've ever made ever, um, and um, but it, it really wasn't expensive. But at the time when you are looking at every single penny, it did. But it was worth it, and spent a whole day. And it was on the back of that we created my business plan. We created so, my marketing plan. So, what kind of things were you considering in your business plan, Ravi? Well, you know, so we went through a SWOT analysis. So you went for your strengths, weaknesses. Um, and um, I can't remember what the rest stand for. Uh, Opportunities and threats. <laughs> yeah, threats. Um, went through that, um, and um, so we did that, and that identified what we stood for. So that was key. And then we went through our branding, uh, marketing plan as well, and we did all of that in a. It was about an eight-hour session. It was quite intense. I did feel like I just emptied my brain onto the table. Um, <laughs> Um, but uh, it was great, and on the back of that, um, that was key. That was key. That was key. So, a couple of um, follow-up questions. First of all, just listening to you speak, you said that you invested your entire first years of prop first year of profits into your marketing. That must I, I, just listening to that must have taken significant courage to do that. Did that feel at the time like something really risky? No. I just had an intuition. I had a gut feeling this was what we had to do. No one advised me that. I just knew that we had to do this. You know, so, so therefore what I learned, what I earned and lived off was incomes from other avenues, other streams. Okay. Um, you know, so I did private general practice. I did uh, medical legal work. You know, I did various other forms of income, but aesthetics was um, separate. That I just invested that all in. So, and because I, I felt that that was the way forward. And I guess the other thing is, I think that lots of companies, not just in aesthetics, but companies all over the world, do actually create business plans, and then they get stuck in a drawer somewhere or on a laptop somewhere and never get looked at again. How did you make sure that you actually you actually are a rarity because you actually followed up on your business plan? How did you stick to it? Because most people don't. It's hard to say. I mean, it was so ingrained into my head, and I'm, I'm a natural high achiever, and I'm I've always pushed myself to achieve more, um, which which listeners is not necessarily the best way to live life okay all right take a step back sometimes and pat yourself on the back um but uh i think you know the business plan wasn't alien to me i wasn't going to be doing um activities that i didn't want to do and i think that's the key if I was creating a business plan that I had no idea how I was going to achieve, the, the only way to do that was to engage other people to do that. But because I felt I could do all of that and I enjoyed it, the key is you have to enjoy it as well. There's no point doing anything under sufferance. Um, so I made sure in the business plan, the activities that were there were activities that I would enjoy carrying out 
and engage in it. Um, yeah. Um, and is, do you still create business plans a decade on? Do I? Do you still create business plans? Is that still part of your process? In a way, I do, but now they're like, I mean, I'm at a point where I'm just probably going to re-evaluate a whole business plan for the business for the next 10 years. Um, so, uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's going to take some sitting down and, and careful methodical planning because it's at a different level to where I was before. And these are bigger plans and, and I'm definitely going to engage some help in to create that. But for each new treatment I bring to the practice, we, I create a business plan for that. Absolutely. You know, we have to do a, an analysis on whether or not there's a market for a new treatment. We have to do whether there's, what's the return on investment, what's the profitability. So, for example, if you're going to invest in some technology, which is going to cost you usually several tens of thousands of pounds, you've got to work out how quickly are you going to get that money back. Okay, of course, you could pay it by lease, etc., but you still got to work away when that you can have your ROI. Um, about 10 years ago, we'd be looking at a two to three year ROI. Nowadays, I'd be looking for a six month ROI, you know, because the technology is moving so much quicker, so much quicker. So, having those business skills again, coming from a medical background, it's really crucial, I guess, to understand that that you need to actually have a business mind um, and to get the help if you if you don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely. Ravi, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently in terms of building the clinic? Oh yeah, loads. <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't have built riverbanks at the time I did so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we we got to remember I opened Riverbanks and then the next month the recession started. Um, so that was a huge worry. Um, and there was a period of about maybe, uh, maybe four or five months where I actually thought we were going to go under, you know? Um, so. But you I, had a business plan. So you had something to guide you through that, I'm assuming. No, because the, the business plan didn't yeah. factor in a recession, which came out of the blue. Okay, so we had to adapt it very quickly, and I adapted it. Um, um, basically, we took on Vasa, um, and that literally saved us uh, and turned everything around within one month. You know, um, so Vasa was the real savior for riverbanks. Because why was it so? Why was it such a savior? Because um, there was good cash flow with it um you know the, the 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 treatment costs were much higher than uh, per treatment than with uh, then for botox or a filler treatment okay uh and also the demand was huge and also we were one of very 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 few clinics that offered it uh and then we we developed um you know, we went on further trainings, time after time, and expertise trainings, and advanced trainings, and super advanced trainings, and we quickly established ourselves as a local expert in that, and then eventually, a, you know, an international expert in that. So that helped us a lot. Um, we were um, Nevesa is still to this day it's one of my favourite treatments, um, and we do change people's lives with it uh, permanently. So it's it's very good. So it really goes back to where we were right at the beginning, talking about um, talking about having treatments that are cutting edge and the power, but cutting edge in a, in, the, in a real way because they are proven and how they have the power to transform the clinic essentially, which is what happened to you. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ravi, we're going to take a couple of minutes break. Um, and when we come back, I'm going to ask you about your marketing, which is something that you identified as absolutely key. And I'd like to talk to you about a little further. Hey, Miriam here. And before we get back to today's guest, I just want to mention something you might be interested in. Because as you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing that you might want to scale your own aesthetic clinic or med spa. And at Brainstorm Digital, we've developed a three-step process that keeps your practice fully booked with high-quality patients. It's called the Zero Ad Spend Aesthetic Accelerator System. And it gets your patients through your doors again and again, so you can rapidly raise your turnover and scale without chasing the same expensive, difficult to convert leads on Google and on social media that all your competitors are going after. To find out more about how this proven process works, I've recorded a short video, which not only walks you through the three steps so you know exactly how we do it, but you'll also see how one ambitious clinic owner used the system to generate an extra $183,000 in revenue in just 12 months. To watch the short video, go to brainstormaesthetics.com. That's pretty simple to remember, brainstormaesthetics.com. But I'll put the address into the show notes as well so you can access it easily at the end of the podcast. And if you'd like to talk to me afterwards about how we can implement this powerful results-driven system for your clinic, there's a quick form you can use to get in touch with me after you've watched the video or just email me directly. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Practice. Um, we're here with Dr. Ravi Jain of Riverbanks Clinic in London, um, one of the most cutting edge, um, accomplished and well-known doctors, aesthetic doctors in the UK. Um, Ravi, I want to get back to a point that you mentioned beforehand. You said that um, when you first established the clinic um, in year, at the end of year one or the end of year two, you put your entire profits into marketing and really, that's what made your clinic because you got all the you got right people in, and that set you on a course that was um, a course for success. What what do you have any particular marketing philosophy? Um, what what are your principles for good marketing? Wow, I'm not a marketing expert. Good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wow. What are my principles for marketing? <laughs> Like well, well let, let me phrase it. Well, what, what, what has worked best for you? Let's, let's get that around. Let's, let's, okay, that's, that's easy, a little bit easier to, to uh, respond to. Um, okay. You need a website. Okay? Without a doubt, you need a website. Um, uh, nowadays, you have to consider social media as well, I guess. Uh, but back in my day, there was no social media. <laughs> it was just website. And having a website meant you were at the cutting edge of technology. <laughs> um, and so I created my own website and I updated it on a daily basis. Literally every evening I'd be at home in front of the TV with my laptop and just working on the computer and building a website and updating it and blogging it. And that'd be literally every day. Um, so, and so I think what happened there was that people could tell that my website was written by me. The language was my language. The language was communicating to patients like I was talking to patients and explaining. It wasn't sales and marketing language, which every other website that was out there was. So, you know, and I tried to get the messaging across on my website that 
um, you know, I'd like them to stay in touch with me. So please, could they subscribe to my newsletter? And, and then I would do my newsletters as well. So there was a lot of work. A lot of work went into that. But it um, comes down to communication, which is the key principle that you said. Um, yeah, but the key is not just communication. It's the style of communication. All right. You know, you have to, you have to communicate to them like you're talking to someone they know and trust, not you're giving them their bullet points that, you know, it's not spiel. Okay. It's actually conversation. Authentic that, as well. Yeah. So, and we did newsletters. And at the time, in the, in the beginning, newsletters were effective. And we did the standard stuff, you know, the templates you would get with a variety of providers. And then what we found over the years is that every other business used newsletters and emails and they got glossier and glossier and glossier. And by the time, and then your inbox is just filled with newsletters. And then you find that you never read any of them. Okay. And that's what I found over the next few years is that the engagement from my customers was less and less and less and less to the point that I, you know, you send out a special offer and nobody responded. Okay. And so I lost complete confidence in newsletters and started looking at other avenues of marketing. And anyway, and then I, I think it was about four years ago when I bumped into Danny, maybe. Was it that long ago? Maybe five? I think something like that. Danny, yeah. of course, being um, my partner at Brainstorm Digital. <laughs> yes. And uh, he was giving a talk at a, at a seminar I was, I was uh, chairing in Lisbon. Actually, it was on consultations. It was on the Harmony Programme in Lisbon to many doctors from around the world. And uh, he was going to talk about the power of his email marketing method where you would just literally write a letter to patients as opposed to a templated newsletter, which is where everyone was used to. And I remember just standing up and disagreeing with him and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, challenging him. And um, anyway, um, we well, sat... Ravi, just out of interest, um, given that your initial success um, over your website was writing really personal content, why why did you feel why did you disagree with him? Why did you feel because that? I felt that um, one of the things that Danny was talking about was that you have to write, you're going to write these long text heavy messages to patients, and my belief at the time was that well if they're not even prepared to look at a short, sharp burst, you know, pictorial and a short, sharp email, what hope have you got of maintaining someone's attention to go to scroll through several pages of an email of a letter? And I just thought it was just like, it's a crazy thought. How on earth could that work? You know? And anyway, we chatted about it afterwards. And then I invited Danny to my practice at Riverbanks and we met quickly after that, and, he, and I was so blown away by his confidence in this is what will work. I said to myself, well, I've got nothing to lose, and just try it. And, the, and I, in my head, I had one-month trial, not three-month trials, but I had one-month trial in my head. <laughs> That's where I was. And, uh, I, and I actually thought my newsletter database was dead. My subscriber list was dead. It was non-active. Um, so I said, fine, do what you want with it. You know, I didn't think it had any value at all um, because it'd been, there'd been no engagement for years. Um, and anyway, so this first letter went out and, um, and it was written in a way that I, I felt actually, oh my God, this is too personal. This is too uh, um, 
this is too friendly, this is too personal, this is too engaging. I felt a bit uncomfortable about it. Um, showed it to my team and they were very uncomfortable with it going out because they were laughing. Oh my God, you're going to send this out because it's like, you, don't, you, you can't do that. You know, that's not who you, you know, not, not who you are, but only people you're really, really close to know you like that, you know? Um, and anyway. Because the process that we went, that we go through is really, um, the, the emails come from you, from your heart, really. They, they really are your stories and yeah. your thoughts. So they are very personal. Yeah, it's very personal. And, and doctors always tend to keep a distance between their patients. But, you know, but I've always made that distance as close as possible, but has still kept a distance. Yes, this obliterated that distance completely. There was no gap anymore. They were just like, we were like best friends all of a sudden, you know. And um, anyway. So anyway. what impact did that have at the beginning? Well, the very first email that went out, the next, you know, in clinic, the next lot of day, in patient said, wow, love that email you sent. And I, you get, you've been get, you got it, yeah. And I said, "Have you been getting my emails over the last few years?" Yeah. No one had ever commented on any of my previous emails, okay. And so what we saw very well instantly was patients commenting on my email that I sent. They commented on it, and, you know, and that for me was like, "Wow, they're engaging." So for me, that was huge. That was very quickly followed up by increase in attendance of patients who I hadn't seen for a long time and I thought had gone to other clinics, okay? Um, and, and let alone still be on my subscriber list, okay? And they're coming back. So reawaken dormant patients, basically. Exactly. And then the best thing was um, the increase in our sales. You know, we would mention a treatment and boom, it would have an impact uh, and we'd see that in clinic and patients would be saying, yes, what was Dr. Jane mentioned this in his email? Can I have that? Dr. Jane mentioned this in his email. Can I have that? Or they'd be asking the team or they'd be asking me or they'd be booking directly for it. Uh, and one of the most successful ones was our R-Lift, you know? Um, so that was, that was, you know, where we had huge uptake of the R-Lift. And I had to tell some patients, you've already had the R-Lift. Okay? <laughs> oh, have I? Oh, well, I want it again, you know? Um, you know so we, they loved that. And there were other points where we, you know, they, they would write back with comments about my email. So they'd reply to the email, oh, wow, you know, thanks for that tip about drinking water or, you know, or, you know things like that. It wasn't just always... Which actually, I remember when we sent out that email and I remember it was an email about water and yeah. you get comments. And I actually remember at the time thinking, my God, People want to talk to you about water. Water. About water. <laughs> uh, yeah, even I, I'm a complete believer in our style of emails, but I have to say that when we got responses back about water, it's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so engagement was huge. So I think, I think we attributed up to a 40% increase in turnover on the back of those emails that first year, you know? So, Ravi, what is it um, that you think um, makes this, that style of communication so effective? Uh, first of all, why don't you describe a little bit what that's the style of your emails is? Well, what we try to do, we try to talk to patients um, in a way that I'm actually as if we're having a coffee together, okay? I might update them on some of my latest travels or an interest in patient that came in or 
you know, maybe something that's going on in life, like kids going through teens or, um, you know, uh, what tip, and then we might give them some tips um, on uh, whether it's just general skin tips or whether it's preparing for holidays or even well-being tips. Uh, there'll be latest treatment ideas. Um, there'll be a promotion occasionally about maybe there's an open evening going on. Um, so, and it won't be all of that in one email. We'll, we will generally have a, we'll try to do a, what we call a nurturing email and then uh, information email and then maybe a promotional email. Um, we try to mix it up. So it, what we don't want it to be is all salesy, salesy, salesy. Um, we sometimes ask them feedback about them. We maybe ask them to engage in a, a survey occasionally. Um, so it's, it's really just including our patients in the Riverbanks family. They're, I want them to feel like they are part of our family, part of our success. We value their opinion. We value them a lot, hugely. And they do enjoy hearing about our travels and the latest things and occurrences of the clinic. And um, Very often it's the personal thing. It's, it's kind of ironic that um, many doctors and other professionals, by the way, don't want to really share the personal stuff. But actually that's what builds the relationships and makes people real, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, when it comes to personal stuff, you have to respect uh, your friends and family's privacy as well, you know. Um, so yeah. there's, there's getting the balance of that because they haven't consented to you talking and writing about them. And so you have to talk in more general terms. Um, but I draw a lot of um, comfort as well as, uh, as knowledge and experience from my patients because to hear, you know, we often chat about the same challenges, you know family, life, work, blah, blah, and everyone, you know, we're similar ages at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people go through bereavements, and, you know, and uh, you know, again, we're all at that age where that starts to happen, you know, and uh, so. So essentially, in some ways, it's carrying on the conversations you're having in the clinic, but actually carrying them on over email. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think that so many clinics find this difficult? Because really the general trend is to go for those glossy emails that you discussed, that you said before, um, that, that you mentioned before. Um, but really, very often in clinic, doctors are having those conversations. So why does that personal relationship very often not carry on, not just to emails, but carry over to clinics marketing in general? You mentioned the websites as well. Almost all aesthetic websites are kind of identical in the language that they use. Why is it so hard for, those, for that personal relationship to really carry on into marketing? Well, I think nowadays very few people write their own well i don't know i don't know i don't know whether nowadays people write their own websites or whether now people do engage in uh agencies to do that for them uh um i think the difference the difficulty is that it one it's time it takes a lot of time to write those long wordy personal emails okay um and to um, you know, you guys have got a certain skill set in writing those, and you've got an amazing skill set in writing. They're very well written, um, whereas you know, a doctor may not be an, a, a, a great linguist, you know, a literary expert. Um, you know, it's not just writing. You've got a marketing hat on as well. You know what engages. Um, 
the um, um, the other thing, doctors, why not? Why they go to the te the other staff, the, the templates? Because you know there, there's probably a cost effect, a cost issue there as well. You know they're relatively inexpensive, all right, um, and that's how they will start out. You know, um, I think if you came to me when I started out and presented the package which we're using now, I, you know, I probably wouldn't have taken it on. Because I, I may not have no, but you've got to be true, Miriam. You, you know, because it's it's a significant budget, and most people don't have a marketing budget like that. You know, yeah. whereas if you go for if you if you strip down everything else in your marketing, if there was one thing I would stick to, it would be the emails. Okay, because that's what you know, and and you've got to build up a list. You know, so I think we you know building up a list takes time. It does take time, and I think that's that's the hard thing. So how are you going to build up a list if you don't have a website? You know, you can do it on Facebook, I guess. You can do it on social medias, I guess. And I think that the other challenge is that very often um, clinics and, again, other businesses, because I do not think this is um, unique to aesthetics tool, they don't understand the power of the email list and therefore they actually don't put a lot of effort into building an email list. Um, we regularly talk to clinics when we say, we say to them, you know, who, how big is your email list? And they actually say things like, well, we've got a bunch of um, handwritten email addresses somewhere. We still need to import them. They just don't understand that it's important. And they don't see it as a, as a, as a top priority. Whereas for us, your email list is what your business's biggest asset, really, because it's the list of your future, where your future business is going to come from. I agree. And I think, I think something, you know, and I, I think the issue is... Um, how what's the quickest way to build up your email list now for me the quickest way was getting the emails of the patients that come through your door okay so that's at the end right so for me again many people it sounds shocking because it's so obvious but many clinics do not do that get make sure you get everyone's email and ask them if they'd subscribe to your list and you can just do it in clinic you can do it in clinic and then get the notification straight away or they can do it on an iPad there and there. So, you know, that's, that was, that's the quickest way. And it's free to do it that way. Okay, you don't have to do PPC campaigns or campaigns to get them on board. Um, but those are, and those are warm patients. They're hot patients, you know, that they're, well, they're keen to listen to you because they've already come to you. Um, whereas, um, do you, do you think also, Ravi, that lots of the other, my, my other observation is that lots of clinics, for some reason, are very fixated on new patients, but you're really talking about getting the most out of your existing patient base. And somehow, um, I think some businesses think that's less sexy, essentially. Um, but in reality, it's a massive missed opportunity. Do you think that's an issue as well? Completely. I mean, listen, if they've already decided to come to you, they already, they, they, you know, you do, you do a great analogy um, uh, on your talks of, of, of the relationship of, uh, of an email subscriber and a patient, you know, and how it's similar to, you know, the first date and all the way up through to marriage, you know, and beyond, okay? Um, By the time they've come through your doors, they're basically married to you, so they're much more likely to come back. <laughs> By the time they come to your doors, I think it's the engagement, isn't it, actually? <laughs> And then you've got well, by the time they've had a treatment. By the time they've had treatment, they've you've gone down the aisle, as it were, and and, and so I think that's the patients on social media, they're just they're not even a first date. So no, I don't think that word date exists these days. Anyway, 
So uh, you're going to have to use swipe now, I think, in your tool. <laughs> so, okay, so Ravi, so it sounds like the email, um, the email marketing has really been revolutionary for you. Yeah, that's one fantastic. Thing. I you love know, that. You know I've gone through various marketing exercises over the last few years, and the one thing I've always stuck by is the email marketing. Well, Ravi, thank you very much. Um, it's been an absolute education um, speaking to you today. Thank you for sharing, um, for being so authentic um, and having so much integrity and sharing so many real lessons on your journey to success. Um, I'm sure everyone's learned tons from you. If someone wants to get in touch with you, um, Ravi, how can they do that? Uh, we're on Instagram as Dr. Ravi Jain. Um, we're, there's the website, um, riverbankswellness.com com i think and um and um subscribe to email list <laughs> and definitely subscribe but yeah subscribe to my email list if you're interested in um uh finding out more about me and uh our practice brilliant ravi thank you very much for being a guest today on how i scaled my aesthetic clinic um it's been a pleasure having you you're welcome bye miriam bye ravi and we'll see everyone else on the next episode <laughs>